Good afternoon. Hello, Trinity Park Church. Just want to invite you to your seats, and if you're able to, go ahead and stand as we get started together. I'm Joe Jackson, Servants Worship Leader, and I want to welcome everyone, certainly those who are here in person who have sought to brave the cold. Glad you're here. And I'm also grateful this afternoon for those who I'm not able to see. I've been so encouraged this week just to hear some reports about um, friends, brothers and sisters far and wide who have been joining us. And I feel like it's a great picture of the Ransom Church of God. Although we can't see each other, we are crying out to the, the one living God. So God be praised for that. So if you can, I want to invite you to take a look at our bulletin. You can find this on the church website or on the church app. Our call to worship comes from Romans 12. We're going to use the first two verses as our call to worship. And in the preceding 11 chapters, Paul has unpacked the grace of Jesus Christ that is given to us. And then in these words, he shifts to the practical implications of this grace. And so I want us to have this picture in our minds this afternoon of being living sacrifices unto the Lord. Paul says this in Romans 12, beginning in verse 1. I appear, appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So let's seek now to worship the Lord and to be living sacrifices unto God, not just with our singing, but in every aspect of our lives. Would you bow your heads and pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this opportunity this afternoon to come together and worship. I'm so thankful, Lord, that though we are given these pictures in the Old Testament of animals that were sacrificed, you now remind us that that is done away with and we have a Savior who has died and now we can live for him. I praise you, Jesus Christ, that we can call you Savior and Redeemer. And we pray this afternoon that we would worship you with all of our voices, all of our minds, and with every aspect of our being. And I also want to thank you, Holy Spirit, that you empower us with resurrection power to live for Jesus Christ. So help us now to consider your great mercies and to sing and worship you as the one living God in light of those mercies that you have extended to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's raise our voices together as we sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Thy faithfulness 
pardon for sin. Pardon for sin and the peace that I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Let's sing that once more. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness. Lord, unto me. Lord, your mercies are new every single day. Great is your faithfulness. Let's continue to sing of his mercy. Remembered no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. What patience! would wait as we constantly roam what father so tender is calling us home he welcomes the weakest the vilest the poor our sins they are many his mercy is more praise the lord his mercy is Yeah. 
of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. First verse once more. What love could remember? What love could remember? No wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise God, His mercy is more. You may be seated. Well, good, I guess, good afternoon, Trinity Park Church. My name is Andy Yu. I am uh, one of the pastors here, this church. So glad that you can join us in this super cold weather. Um, and for those who are uh, tuning in on live stream, you know, we want to welcome you too. So a lot has happened uh, in this past week. And so I know a lot of us are, you know, having, feeling all kinds of emotions and we experience all kinds of, you know, trying to process through everything that's happening right now in our country and in our own lives. And so I want to invite us as we come together today, you know, that we will turn our eyes to Christ, that we will turn ourselves to God, to put ourselves before him in our confession, in, our, um, in, in confessing our need to him, because we know that there's so many things that's happening right now that we have no control of, that we are unable to do anything about. And so just want to invite us to now take this moment in our confession together as we confess these words. Would you join me? Mighty God and loving Heavenly Father, like Adam and Eve, we are people who hide from you when we sin. We seek our own glory instead of yours, craving comfort, good reputations, financial gain, safety, significance, and love. We want to believe that we are the smartest, the best, the wisest, the strongest, and most spiritual people. 
We compete with one another in order to feel superior. And we trample each other with our pride and determination to succeed. Lord, forgive us for our relentless self-love and worship. Convict us of our sin and give us the sweet gifts of repentance and godly sorrow. Fill our hearts and minds with the reality of Christ's loving pursuit of us so that we learn to love him more each day. Amen. Would you take this brief moment to silently reflect on these words or perhaps even to personally confess your own sins? Let's take a brief moment together. Heavenly Father, as I think about all that has happened, all that had happened this week and even weeks before, and just considering my own emotions and my own thoughts, trying to process through uh, the horrific things that I saw on the news, but at the same time just trying to understand and trying to, to be objective, trying to think through it, Lord, with, without... Um, without any form of judgment but at the same time i know that lord it is hard because we all have emotions we all feel differently in this in these situations i just pray lord that you will call us lord right now to turn our our emotions turn our feelings before you to put ourselves humbly before your presence lord because we need you lord we need you to enable us to to um, think, Lord, we need, uh, we need you to enable us to process through this, Lord, through the lens of Christ, to the gospel lens. And I pray too, Lord, in our frustration, Lord, we will turn our eyes towards you, knowing that, Lord, even as we consider, you know, as we may have perhaps even put our hope in, in our government or perhaps in people, Help us, Lord, to fix our eyes back on Christ, Lord, for he alone is the one that can satisfy, for he alone is the one that can save, Lord. And so I pray that you will call us to come before you right now as we reflect on these words. Call us even, Lord, to submit ourselves in humility because we know that we ourselves are the recipients of your good grace. And so enable us, Lord, to treat each other well, to speak kindly to each other. Enable us also, Lord, to continue to come before you in repentance because we know that we ourselves have sinned before you in many ways. So I thank you and I praise you and I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the assurance of our pardoning grace from Psalm 32, verse 1 to 2. Let me read it to you. It says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Friends, the um, blessing of forgiveness is for all those who will turn themselves to Christ, even right now. So hear these words and be encouraged by the grace of God. Thank you. time we're going to collect our offering to um, 
at Trinity Park Church, again, we are so incredibly thankful for your generosity and your, you know, your sacrificial giving to our church and to the work of our church. So we want to say thank you. And you may be, be able to give to, um, by submitting a check or even going online to do so. Thank you. Let's continue to worship. If you'd like, you're welcome to stand. Also, many are bundled up in blankets, so it's good to stay seated. If that feels more comfortable, that's fine too. I do want to encourage you to sing out as we sing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing Tune my heart to sing Thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the name upon it, name of thy redeeming love. Verse 2. Hitherto thy love has blessed me, thou hast brought me to this place, and I know Sheeler. I get to serve as one of the elders here at Trinity Park Church. I lead the prayer team and the grace, race, and reconciliation team. 
Throughout its history, Trinity Park Church has endeavored to center all it does in the good news of Jesus, the gospel. From our founding days, Trinity Park has sought to be a church proclaiming Christ in redemptive community among neighbors and nations. As we lived out the tumultuous events of 2020, a pandemic, very public, painful acts of hate against uh, African Americans, the elders, we've talked about how we can listen, how can we lean in, lament, learn, love, and seek to apply the gospel and the reconciling work of God in this moment. So we formed the Grace, Race, and Reconciliation team. Joe Jackson and I lead that, and there's um, a handful of people that have joined that with us. We began by having conversations, seeking to read, to learn, and talk, consulting leaders with experience with racial reconciliation, and praying that in this moment, in some small way, that we could truly be salt and light, that we could be ambassadors of an upside-down kingdom where enemies of God are made as family and the warring tribes of man experience the dividing wall of his hostility between their factions broken down in Jesus. We believe that for us to lean into now being who we will be then as John describes in Revelation 7, as the blood-washed multitude from every nation, tribe, and tongue, worshiping together around the throne of the King Jesus, a reconciled people, that learning to lean into now who we will be then, that we can only do that in the gospel kingdom context of prayer, relationship, and service. So we've been seeking to build relationships with Christian community right here in our, uh, in our town, and uh, we've gotten to build relationships with a predominantly African-American congregation um, that we've been getting to know, brothers and sisters from Mount Zion Church, which is a near neighbor of where we will be worshiping uh, when we move to the Maynard Lode Road location. Trinity Park Church just marked its 10th birthday. And we're thankful, so thankful for God's provision and his faithfulness to us in those 10 years. But listen to this, Mount Zion Church was formed in 1865. They've been an active congregation for 155 years. So we've gotten to know Pastor Willie Harris there and um, a member evangelist there, Tayon Dancy. Tayon and her brother, Tiont, attended our Grace, Race, and Reconciliation meetings and shared with us from their life stories, their perspectives. Mount Zion has invited us and we were able to join them in one of their online prayer meetings. And we plan to have Pastor Willie share with us from a series that he's been doing about praying the great prayers of scripture. That'll be Wednesday, February the 10th. Stay tuned for more details on that. But next weekend, in its first ever observance of Martin Luther King Day, the town of Apex is having a celebration Details, if you're interested, can be found on their website. Pastor Corey has been asked to publicly pray at this event for unity in our community. As the elders, we're thankful for this opportunity to get to publicly live as ambassadors for an upside-down kingdom, to identify publicly right here in our community with the name of Jesus, not as a self-promotion for our tribal faction, but in love and in service to pray for what Jeremiah says, to seek and pray for, for the welfare of our city, 
to seek and pray for what Jesus prayed in John 17, that his disciples may be one, even as we are one, Jesus speaking. He goes on and prays, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you loved me. So for those of you that are interested in this event, you can find details um, on how you can participate Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, or for whatever part you can on the Town of Apex website. But please pray whether you can attend or not. Pray for Corey as he prays that the good news, the power of the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of reconciliation will be lifted up. Please pray for the ministry and work and conversation of the Grace, Race, and Reconciliation team. Would you pray for our sister church that we're getting to know, Mount Zion, for our friendship, for opportunities to serve together? Would you pray that in this hateful, tribalized moment of our time, that we can lean in to what John describes in Revelation 7, that we can lean in to being now who we will be then. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we consider everything that has happened in the past year and even at the beginning of this year, Lord. Lord, there's so much that we are frustrated and fear of. And yet, despite of these, these things, Lord, we are also aware that, oh God, you are not absent in any of the challenges and sufferings and hardships that we encounter in this nation, within our church, and even in our own lives. Because you are still reigning and ruling over all things. And so we thank you. I want to thank you, Lord, for, for reminding us, Lord, from your word daily that, Lord, you rule over all things, that you are sovereign in every situation. And we should thank you for the blessings and privileges we receive as believers. You know, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who broke down the wall of hostility and thus setting us free from the bondage of sin and uniting us to our God and to each other. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives in us, guiding, teaching, convicting, and sustaining us daily. Lord, we thank you for giving us the unchangeable and unshakable gospel of Jesus Christ as a reminder of how we are called to live in this world. And so with these privileges and and blessings, Lord, as we consider all these things, as we consider a newfound freedom, Lord, that we have in Christ, I pray that we will learn to use them well, to love you deeply, and to love each other generously. Help us to also use our privileges to advance your kingdom on this earth and not to advance our own agenda, but to use it for evil. Lord, we are thankful for the beautiful opportunity to be able to partner with, with a church like Mount Zion. We thank you for the opportunity for Christians to learn, to live together, to learn to share together, learn to serve together. And I thank you for the opportunities that you've given to us to 
you know, serve with Mount Zion, to, to share with Mount Zion, to learn from each other in these uh, tumultuous times, Lord. Lord, we are troubled this week by what we saw on the news of the horrific attack on the Capitol building. We lament at the loss of lives from the uprising and we grieve at the chaos and division that this attack brought. Lord, despite of whatever political affiliations we have, I pray, Lord, even as a nation that we will move forward from this this um, difficult moment, Lord, that we'll move forward together. Lord, I pray for elected leaders, Lord, to rise above all the political bickering and demonization of each other. We pray for the spirit of tolerance and peace to come upon our leaders that they will see this attack as a means to work together to build this nation. We pray for justice and righteousness and equity to be upheld in this country so that all who are guilty will be punished. But at the same time, all those who are marginalized will be cared for. Lord, this morning I pray for David Price, a friend of Emmy and Jacob Clark, who is a police officer who died a few days ago in a car crash and left behind a wife and three small children. I'm thankful that David is a believer, but I do pray for his family as they mourn his death. And I pray that you will come alongside this family and continue to provide for their daily needs. I pray for the Garcia family, the Guatemalan family that we support because uh, one of their own is diagnosed with COVID while the rest are waiting for, for the test results. I pray for this entire family as they are now in quarantine that, Lord, you would continue to be with them. I pray um, against any health complications for them. And I just pray, Lord, that you would continue to sustain them and provide for them in this difficult moment. Lord, I pray too for our church. Continue to pray for the recovery for Stephen Wiley and Jen Collins from COVID-19. Lord, I know that there are others in our midst, others in our congregation to experience all kinds of health issues. And also those who continue to live in constant pain and sufferings. Lord, I pray that, Lord, you will remember them, that you will sustain them even in this difficult moment, that your grace will be sufficient for them, Lord. Lord, I pray for our church as we continue to seek and look to you for providence, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to trust you and to obey you, Lord, in whatever, whatever ways that you seek to bless us with, Lord. Help us, Lord, as we know that we have experienced many challenges in the past few months and as we continue to experience uh, more challenges in the coming months. I just ask that, Lord, you would continue to sustain us as a church in every way. I pray for wisdom upon our pastors, upon our, our elders and the deacons. Lord, I pray that you guide us well as we seek to lead your, your flock. Lord, I pray to you this, this afternoon for the reading and preaching of your word. I pray that even as we are being bombarded by all kinds of news and information, 
I pray that we will look only to your word as the lamp to our feet and the light of our path. And as the world seeks to bewitch us with a different gospel that distorted the truth of God, help us to be wise and stand firm on the foundation of your truth that is only found in your word. And so I pray that as we hear the preaching of your word, I pray that, Lord, you'd give us attentive minds and ears that are open to hear your truth that speaks into our hearts, that convicts us of our sins. And so I thank you and I praise you. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's reading comes from Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through chapter 5, verse 16 and verses 27 through 42. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it to the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not all at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him in, up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in and found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed.
And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to, them to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thoutus rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Good to see you this evening as the sun is going down. It's getting a little chilly. I was sitting there in my seat considering the words of James in James 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you endure or face trials of various kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work because you need to be made mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And so God is interested in our sanctification. He's interested in our joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds. Um, we are facing trials right now as a church. We're facing trials right now as a nation. You're facing trials right now in your family. The question is, how in the world can you face these trials with joy? Well, I can assure you that you cannot face these trials with great joy if all of your hope is in this life. If all of your hope is in your own security, if all of your hope is in your own comfort, if all of your hope is in your own control, then you have no chance of facing trials with great joy. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor, people have come to me complaining about something going on in the church, and they said something in their argument like, why can't we just get back to a church that's like the book of Acts? You know, why can't we just get back to that kind of a church where you can just strip away all of the hype 
where we can just focus on the word, we can just focus on evangelism and discipleship, we can focus on God alone. And I think all of those prayers that you prayed that we could just get back to a church like Acts are being answered because we've never had a better chance of being like an Acts-like church than we do right now. Acts in the church, in the book of Acts, they had very little financial resources. They had nowhere to meet. They had no churches that were already built. They faced governments. They faced persecution. They faced instability. They faced everything that we're facing. These apostles, let's not forget the most mature believer among them all in terms of how long they had had the Holy Spirit regenerating them was about two months old. These are not wildly mature people. It's easy to read the book of Acts and be like, you know what, these people, they, you know, this is a special time. God was just doing special things. That's true. God was doing that. But the, the oldest believer among them all had known the Lord for a couple of months. These are not spiritual giants. These are empowered people. These are people who are weak, but the Lord is strong in them. These are people, as you read through this, as we walk through this together, who would really truly put their hope in a different kingdom. They had put their hope in a different leader, in a different ruler. They had established an entirely different pattern for their lives. And I'm so glad we can pick back up in Acts today because I think we have an unbelievable opportunity to grow as individuals and grow as a church in Jesus Christ. As our idols, as the things that we depend on are stripped away from us, we have an amazing opportunity as individuals to depend on Christ more than we ever have in our lives. As our idols, as those things we depend on are being stripped away from us as a church body, we have an unbelievable opportunity to become more Christ-centered than we've ever been before. We also have a simultaneous opportunity to walk away from the Lord, to decide it's too hard, to decide that obeying the Lord in this political climate, in this season when it's something like 44 degrees right now and you're having to sit through a sermon with blankets on, it's easy to say, you know what, it's just getting too hard. It's getting too hard to follow Christ who loved his neighbor as he loved himself. It's getting too hard, and so maybe I really won't follow after Christ. Maybe I'll go in a different direction. So today, we're going to look at three ways that this early church and we are called to glorify the Lord. And simultaneously, with every opportunity we have to glorify the Lord, we have a very distinct threat that we, can, that we will face. If we follow the threat, it will choke out gospel fruitfulness. But if we follow the Lord, we really can and will grow in the glory of God. So first of all, God is concerned in this passage that we would learn that we would glorify God in our hearts, in our hearts. You know, for these early believers, they, they really had been radically reoriented around the person and work of Jesus. There have been theological debates in America about whether or not, now what does it take to become a Christian? Do you need to just accept Jesus as your Savior? Is that enough? Or do you also need to go so far as to accept him as your Lord? How far do you need to go to be a Christian? They didn't have this debate in the early church. 
Because they followed Jesus, who was both Savior and Lord simultaneously. It's as if we, as a Western church, have the right to separate out the identity of Jesus and say, you know what I'll say? I'll say he's my Savior, but I'm not sure if he's my Lord. The deal is you get Jesus. Salvation is found in Jesus. And so when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you do receive him as your Lord. He is your Lord. It's not your decision to make whether or not he is the Lord. He is the Lord. And we're called to follow him as the Lord. The early church didn't have this debate about, is Jesus Lord? He was Lord, and so they followed him, and they reoriented their life around this new pattern of Jesus Christ. We find something extraordinary about these early Christians in these first six verses in chapter 4. There's perhaps 5,000 that had converted, and there was a movement among these Christians, among some of them that were landowners, that they would sell their land in response to the gospel. They would sell their land, and among this group of people, they decided they would commit to give all of the proceeds from the sale of the land to the work of the kingdom of God, to establishing the gospel in the world. They had been so overcome with who Jesus was, they trusted him so much that they didn't need any more savings. They didn't need to consider how their future needs were going to be met. They just, they simply, these are not all believers own land, but there was a group of landowners who sold their land and gave all of the proceeds to to the Lord and to the church. The sale of the proceeds were used for whatever the apostles thought would bring glory to Jesus, whatever would bring focus on the gospel, whatever would show forth the reality of God's kingdom on earth. Certainly taking care of the poor among them was one of those things. But this is one way the church grew financially as people sold their land or their houses and they gave it away to the church. It's easy to be like, you know what, that's just, that's really... That's really an amazing story, but I don't find it applicable anymore today because that's just going a little bit too far financially. It doesn't really can, it doesn't take into account what we deal with today in America. Well, I would, be, I would want to be very careful about making that assessment. I know there's not a financial advisor on this planet that would encourage this way to manage your money. But this is the way that some in the early church responded to the gospel. However we respond to the gospel, we as Americans need to realize that even in a pandemic, and even with the instability that we're finding in our government right now, we are still the most wealthy nation in the history of the world. We as a country now, we as Americans now, have more money than any other country before. Per capita, maybe not, but as a nation, many of us have been given wealth. Not all of us, but some of us. And if we don't think that following Christ has anything to do with the money that we've been given in America, we would be mistaken. Absolutely, following Christ and how we respond generously to the needs of the kingdom has to do with our money. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve God and money. And you might say, well, I don't serve money. I don't serve money, Corey. I mean, that that really doesn't have a hold on me. Well, maybe not, but, but we really love what our money can buy for us. We love the comfort that it brings. We love the security that it 
it seems to give us. We love the control we feel like we have when we have money. It's the holy, or the unholy, excuse me, trinity of American idols, security, control, and comfort. But this isn't really about money. God doesn't just want, he doesn't just want your money. He wants your heart. There's a lot of things that can capture your heart, not just money. And so what we see here in this next section is the biggest threat to our discipleship is not our money. The biggest threat to our discipleship in this section, highlighted by the writer Luke, is hypocrisy. This is the first threat highlighted in the text. You have Ananias and Sapphira. They saw Barnabas and the others. They were part of this group in the church that apparently decided they were going to sell their land and give all the proceeds away to the church. And somewhere along the lines, Ananias and Sapphira decided that even though they had said that's what they were going to do when they sold the land, they actually sold the land and advertised that it was the full amount when they gave it. But actually, it was only part of the amount. Now, it's really clear that there, were, there was no, uh, there was, they were not compelled. They didn't have to give all the money. The problem wasn't that they didn't have enough zeros at the end of their check. The problem was the hypocrisy in their gift. The problem was that they were going to be using their gift not because primarily they wanted to build the kingdom of God. They wanted to build their own reputation. They wanted other people to look at them and say, wow, look at what Ananias and Sapphira have done. And so God responds extremely directly. It says in verses 3 and 4 that they had lied to the Holy Spirit. So this isn't communism. They didn't have to do this. It's very clear. I just want to make sure everybody understands. Verse 4, didn't the land belong to you, Peter says, before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? So it's not that they had to do this. It's that they said that that's what they did. And that was the problem, that they had lied to the Holy Spirit and lied to the church. The essential of the gospel that's being attacked here is the integrity of the church. And Ananias and Sapphira were probably leaders in the church, or they wanted to be. And that was what was going on here. And hypocrisy isn't tolerated in anyone, but it certainly can't be tolerated in the leaders of the church. Tim Keller writes that hypocrisy is probably the most devastating sin to the Christian church. He says this, if you murder, commit adultery, etc., your sin is visible and you can be dealt with according to church discipline. And if there's no repentance by expulsion, But Ananias and Sapphira were guilty of spiritual pride and were using Christianity as a way to get a reputation for being moral, spiritual pillars. So God knew that left unchecked, particularly as the early church was just growing, that if you had leaders who were actually building their reputation on hypocrisy, who actually outwardly were were living one way, but inwardly very clearly doing, doing something else, in such a public way, this was God's way of dealing with it. God doesn't want us to have an external righteousness that's motivated out of a desire for personal reputation and glory. If Ananias and Sapphira hadn't been disciplined, the whole church, the whole early church could have been filled with people like them that had positioned themselves in this way. Now, you may be thinking, you know what, Corey, I want you to move on to your second point. You know, I'm, I think I'm good on hypocrisy, right? Okay. Well, um, the problem with hypocrites, and you've, if you've been around Trinity Park for a while, you know that this is part of my personal story, 
that I grew up in the deep south. I grew up uh, understanding that I, I just thought I was a Christian just because I was born in a Christian family. And I had become an expert in positioning myself externally in a way that didn't match it all up internally. I felt very comfortable with Jesus being my Savior and not my Lord. I felt very comfortable there being a massive gap between who I portrayed myself externally to be and who I was internally. And the Lord had to do a lot of work in my heart to show me that was not really Christianity. The problem with hypocrites, the problem with self-deceivers is that you absolutely can deceive not just other people, but you can deceive yourself. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So how should the church of, the, of Jesus Christ deal with hypocrisy? Well, we need to practice vulnerability. I walked in today and said hello to someone and said, how was your week? And they instinctually said, you know, it was fine. It was a good week. Thanks for asking. And then they said, you know what, Corey? Actually, it wasn't fine. It wasn't fine. I got upset with everything going on in the world. I got upset and I started fighting with my spouse. You know, that's, that is the right response. You know, enough with, with the platitudes to each other. We don't, do we have time for that? Can we just be honest? We're all struggling. Instead of just acting one way and internally being another, just own it. Because you know what? If Ananias and Sapphira had said, you know what? I have a problem with materialism. Forgive me, Lord God. I have a problem with hypocrisy. Lord God, forgive me for that. In 1 John 1, it says, that God is faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, can, God will forgive any sin. God will forgive any sin. And hypocrisy is one that's hard to own, but we need to own it. One African leader said, let us endeavor to live in houses without ceiling or walls. Let's stop pretending and be honest. Let's root out hypocrisy with vulnerability that's anchored in the gospel and in community. So God wants our hearts, and the, the threat is hypocrisy. Second, God wants us to glorify him in our actions. He wants to glorify him in our actions. We see this in verses 12 through 16. Here we see a pattern this, that emerges in the early church. They don't just they don't want, just want to give away their money. They just want to extend the kingdom of God that way. God just doesn't own their wallets and their bank accounts. God also owns their relationships their reputations. This radical pattern does just include how much they give. Financially, it includes how much they give relationally to other people. And so they start sharing their life with their neighbors. They start going out and sharing the good news of the gospel with others. Clay beat me to it today in his vision moment, which I really appreciated. The elders met recently for a retreat in December, and, and we spent time talking about the vision of our church for several hours. We, start, we talked about how from the beginning we've been a church that wants to engage culture. And particularly what we mean by that is we want to engage the people in our culture with the gospel. We just don't want to engage the culture ideologically or philosophically. We want to love people. And that's what we talked about in 2014. The elders all sat down together and we came up with this phrase, neighbors and nations. Neighbors and nations. We want to love neighbors and nations. And the elders together here and in 2020, 2021, were completely committed to being a church that loves our neighbors from the nations. That's the kind of church 
we want to be. And why do we want to be like that? Well, we received this vision from the ministry of Jesus himself, who became incarnate as a man to love people who were very different from him. He is a cross-cultural savior. He came in cross-cultures into our lives and loved us into the kingdom. We followed the ministry of the apostles who were cross-cultural in their ministry. Did you see there that Barnabas wasn't from Jerusalem originally? He was from Cyprus. He was from Cyprus, and he had come over. Early on, the very first session in Antioch, we'll get there eventually in Acts 13, they were all from different socioeconomic classes and demographics and and backgrounds. That was the early church. It was a cross-cultural church, and we want to be that kind of a church. And we receive this ministry not just because we think it's cool or interesting or it really, it really says something today. It's because it's from Jesus. Someone the other day said, you know, why do we want to pursue this? What's going on in the heart behind the church? Is it an intrinsic desire? Or, or He said, is it intrinsic or extrinsic? I thought that was a good way to put it. Extrinsic means that the culture is pulling us in that direction, and so we think it's great. Intrinsic means that it's biblical and Christ-centered, and it's from the apostles, and therefore we do it in a very different way than our culture tells us to do it. And it is an intrinsic value. It's based in Christ that we would love our neighbors and love the nations that are among us. Let me ask you, why would we feel not comfortable in this area following the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of the apostles? Why would we not want to do that? Why would we be threatened by this phrase, neighbors and nations, loving your neighbor? Well, I I think that the threat here, the second threat in the text is we could have bad theology. Just simply bad theology. We've grown up in churches where uh, you can become a leader and you can basically say, you know what? My personal calling is for pure doctrine. My personal calling is to teach the word. My personal calling is to make sure the next generation is raised up in the faith. My personal calling is to call out the evils of our culture, but yet at the same time, that person or that group of people or perhaps whole churches, they don't really love their neighbor. They actually don't really care about their neighbor at all. They, don't, they, actually, they actually might even hate the people that live right next to them, but yet they would ascribe and say that they are Christians because they're following at least part of Christian doctrine. But if you don't love your neighbor, or you would even say, you know what, actually, um, you might not say it, but, but you would practice it practically, that we're going to at least minimize the importance of that part in our church. That's not really our calling. At least right now, that's not really how we're focusing. Very quickly, you depart from what true Christianity is. If you're not loving your neighbors, if you're not loving neighbors and nations, well, that's who Jesus was. And that's what the early church did. And so at some point, you become non-Christian in the way that you are practicing very awkwardly your Christianity. And you may say, well, is this really a problem? I see it all the time. I see it all the time. People say, oh, I'm a Christian, but right now I'm really focusing on these other areas. And very conveniently, it means that I don't even need to interact with my neighbors. Let me ask you, would your, do you know your neighbors? Do you, I mean, it doesn't have to be your physical neighbors on your street. It certainly could be. But do you know your neighbors? 
Would you say, honestly, we just talked about hypocrisy, right? Would you say that you love your neighbors? And this is a tough call, right? I mean, I think the thing that divides us most right now is not race. I don't think. I think it's politics. Someone who responds to what happened on Wednesday completely differently than you. They're your neighbor. They're your neighbor. You may, oh, Corey, that's too much, man. That's too much. Is it? Corey Ten Boom loved the Nazi guards. Learn to love them. Wang Yi, Chinese pastor in prison, if you've been following with us, has asked for prayer that this is the ministry he says God has prepared me for. I pray that the prison guards, I pray that those who are persecuting me might know Christ through me. Is it too much to ask? We follow a Savior who, when he died on the cross, said what? Not curse them or let me point out all the evil in the culture around me. No, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He said, today to a thief, you will be with me in paradise. Is it too much that we've been called to love our neighbor? This is the most practical question that you can ask yourself right now. True Christianity says, not my rights. I will lay down my rights for the rights of other people. I will lay down my rights that other people might enter into the kingdom of God. True Christianity disadvantages yourself to advantage other people. And it is hard right now. But we follow others. We follow Christ who has pointed the way to love our neighbor. Let's not have bad theology. Let's not have bad practical theology. It's such a crucial time as this. Let's love our neighbor. We need to glorify God in our actions. We need to glorify God third in our words. This is the final section. We, we cut out some just for the sake of it being cold, but it's 17 through 42 in chapter 5. So words and deeds form this collective witness. I want you to notice here that the people that they start to share the gospel with are people that they know. These are not random people on social media. This is not walking to somebody at the mall and being like, hey, you don't know me, but let me tell you about Jesus. These are people that they know. These are people they've been inviting to church, inviting into their life, inviting into the fellowship. These are people that they know, and that's how the gospel gets going. The number of Christians is growing massively. And so what happens in situations like that, it's what's happening in China, is that the government is fine with you being a church until you start having a lot of converts and some social influence. And then they start persecuting you. That's what happened with, with the early church, too, where at first the religious leaders are like, whatever, you know. And then they start, what, they got 5,000 people, 7,000 people, 10,000 people. You've got the apostles where people are just walking by them and, and they're getting healed. I mean, these, the leaders are being threatened by the ministry of the apostles. And in the section that we cut out, they throw them in prison. And while they're put in public prison one night, there's a story later on in Acts just like this. They're, they're let out of jail, and, and God says to them, actually an angel, excuse me, says to them, I want you to go, and I want you to tell, I want you to go, and I want you to tell people the full message of this new life. And so they go out, and they continue to proclaim the gospel to them, to the people around them. They, they proclaim the gospel, the message of the new life to them. 
And, and it just starts getting worse and worse. And so eventually they are jailed again. And they're ordered not to teach in the name of Jesus. And in this moment, they face a third threat. And the threat is fear. The threat is fear. This fear that, okay, if I keep on preaching Christ, what will it mean for me? If I, if I keep on preaching the message of this life faithfully, what will it mean for me? And they have a real decision to make. And we have to ask ourselves the question as well, if our president or governor or senators were to tell us that you may no longer preach in the name of Jesus, what would we do? That's not a question as Americans that we really actually have to think about very often. But it's a question every day you have to ask yourself if you're in China and you're a pastor, if you're in Uzbekistan, if you're in the Congo, if you're in Iran. This is, this is Christianity for most of the world. And frankly, in most of the world where Christianity is growing the fastest, this is the question that the pastors and the members of the churches have to ask themselves every day. Will I keep on speaking the words of this life in the midst of the cultural pressure that we are facing? I want to be direct about our situation that we're facing right now as a country in COVID-19 and then also with Wednesday. I think one of the big questions that's been asked, I've I've read a lot on this, um, is this question of, you know, why are people storming the Capitol? What are people most afraid of? There's a lot of reasons behind that. I'm not going to get into all of it. But a few of the things that people are really concerned about that are being threatened as you see them wave their Jesus flags and their cross banners in front of the Capitol as this is going on is people are really afraid of losing freedom of religion. And people are really afraid of losing freedom of speech. And I just want to ask you all the question, who has authority over our freedom of religion or freedom of speech? Does that authority reside in the U.S. Capitol? Or is that freedom that we're given go to a higher level? Does God give us the freedom in Christ to have freedom of speech and to have freedom of religion? Is that something that can be taken away from us? Well, the ultimate answer to that question is no. You will always have the freedom to say what you want to say about Jesus. You'll always have the freedom to worship him. You'll always have that freedom. What we're afraid of is that it's going to carry a greater cost in America one day. Perhaps, I'll be honest with you, I'm really not very concerned about it personally. New administration, old administration, the kingdom of God is advancing and has advanced in communism, totalitarianism, oligarchies, democracies, constitutional republics. Uh, Hebrews 12 says it's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so we don't really need to worry about, if our concern is about the kingdom of God, we don't need to worry about that freedom being taken away from us because that freedom is given to us from God. But we may bear a greater cost in America one day. One day, it may be different for us. It may be different. Maybe one day it'll be much less comfortable, maybe for me as a pastor. I mean, right now in America, I get a tax break for being a pastor. I mean, let's be honest. This is a really good place to be a Christian still. I get a tax break. Your pastors get a tax break for living here. I get to write off my housing. It's crazy. It's a, it's a beautiful blessing. There are a lot of blessings about being here, and that may go away one day. Maybe it'll go away. Maybe we'll not be able to rent some, some public space. I don't know. 
But we need to we need to understand that our kingdom and our heart and our focus does not need to be on promoting the kingdom of America as much as it is on the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, the freedoms that we have, the rights that we have, they cannot be taken away from us. It may get more uncomfortable. John Piper wrote a blog at the end of last year before the last election that my job is to prepare you as a church for whatever may come in America. Whatever may come. Whenever it may come. You need to be ready to hold on to your faith more than you're going to hold on to whatever your political party says. And we need to ask ourselves the question, in terms of our voice, what are you most concerned about? The apostles are most concerned about speaking the word of God. We'll get into how they do that in just a second. But I want to ask you, when you talk about using your voice and losing your voice, what voice are you most concerned about losing? How are you using your voice? Is your voice worth having a voice? Frankly, is is at you or whatever your Twitter handle is or your Facebook or your Instagram, if someone read that, what would they say most occupies the passions of your soul? Are we all trying to be amateur political pundits? Or can we just be Christians who love Jesus? Would someone identify you on social media as someone who loves God first? That's a big question to ask ourselves right now. If you're so concerned about losing your voice, how are you using your voice right now? Because the the disciples, the apostles, when they were released from prison, what they're concerned about is speaking to the world the words of life. And then they get arrested again. And they come before the Sanhedrin, there in verse 29 through 32. And here we have an incredible summary of the gospel. An incredible summary of the gospel. Listen, and they... After the Sanhedrin says, you, you guys need to shut up. You, you guys need, you know what, you don't have freedom of religion. You know what, you don't have the, the right to have a voice. You don't. And so we want you to be quiet. And they say, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey obey him. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones spent 700 pages in a commentary on these four verses, just describing what the gospel is. That's how Dr. Jones wanted to use his voice. Here, what the summary basically is, you want to know what our kingdom is and our allegiance is to? It's to Jesus. Why? Because he's the fulfillment of Israel's history. Because when he died on the cross and was raised from the dead, he gave us forgiveness of sins in his name and new life. And we have seen him. We are witnesses of these things. And the Holy Spirit testifies that to us in our hearts. And therefore, he is our king and he is our message. And so... That's how we're going to use our voice. And then Gamaliel, this brilliant guy, Pharisee, says, hey, you know what? Why don't you stop persecuting them? Because if this is of God, you can't stop it anyway. We need to be a whole lot less concerned. Can the government, can the U.S. government, can the Chinese government, can whatever government, can they stop the kingdom of God? Can they stop the growth of the gospel? They can make it harder, 
But as it gets harder for the church, what ends up happening is James 1, which I started with, is believers start to realize that, wait, I can have joy in all kinds of suffering, and the, the testing of my faith produces character and character hope, and hope does not disappoint us because we have set our eyes on Jesus Christ. And so we have an opportunity, Trinity Park, right now in this moment. We have an opportunity to follow the apostles. What happened to them after this? Well, first of all, their, their lives are spared for now. For now. They have a little more time. They have a little more time. Ultimately, 11 of them will die as martyrs, and one of them, John, they tried to He was boiled in hot oil, and he miraculously lived and ended up writing Revelation. So they didn't all end up having their American dream. You know, the, the, full, the 401K didn't get fully loaded and they didn't get a second home or anything like that. And that, that's not what happened to them. But they got a little more time. And so how did they use their time? Well, they went out in verse 42. It says, day after day, that is consistently in the temple courts from house to house, that is publicly and privately, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. So they did it zealously. They consistently they thoroughly and zealously never stopped never stopped teaching, never stopped using their voice for Jesus Christ. They never stopped until the voice was ultimately stopped and they went to be with the Lord in heaven. And now their voices are crying out and praising the Lord and praying for us. So the question is, is it possible for us as Christians in America to to live like this? Or is it just cool that Acts was written that way and there's a lot of cool stuff in Acts It's not really applicable today? Can we really apply this? The question for us at Trinity Park is, you know, we have an unbelievable opportunity as a church. As Americans, I'll tell you, my parents, for example, never had a moment in their lives like this where they, their church buildings, I mean, it's like, what church buildings? You know, you can't, can't really go on them. You can't really meet on community groups except on Zoom or in some kind of crazy way. You know, we're going through a moment here. You know, oftentimes when you're going through a moment, you look back on it, you're like, that was a really significant moment in my life. I didn't realize that. I think we all know what we're going through right now to some extent. This is a moment, you know, it feels like December the 40th, 2020 right now. It feels like 2020 never ended, and we're still in it, and not, not, not a whole lot has changed for 2020 yet. We're in this moment where we have an opportunity where we can grow more than ever spiritually. Or we cannot. And the question is, will we fix our eyes on Jesus? Now, there is no way, and they didn't do it perfectly either. They didn't do it perfectly. We need to be practicing repentance a lot. My friend this morning who said, you know what, my spouse and I, we've been struggling. You know what, there's, there's so much grace. If you're not leaning hard into grace, this, this is going to just knock you out. I mean, we are, <laughs> this is hard. We need to be vulnerable we need to have good theology that includes a love for neighbor that never goes away, even on days like Wednesday, when you're like, you know what, I'm going to suspend love for neighbor for a day because anybody who feels differently than me on this is just wrong and I don't like them. I get a 24-hour hiatus from loving my neighbor. No, you don't. You don't. You got to love your neighbor all the time. That person in your community group, you're like, you know what, that person, that guy, I don't really like them. I'm not going to deal with them. That's not Christianity. I'm sorry. It's not. I didn't make it up. Jesus did. 
okay? Jesus said to love your neighbor, not me. So you're called to love your neighbor, and we're called to not be afraid, but to use your voice well. How can we use it well? By preaching the gospel, by speaking words of life to each other in this moment. Let's pray. Lord, only you can enable us to to do this, and you give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we call upon you, Holy Spirit, right now in this time when we are cold and it's been a long week and we have miles to go, it seems, before we sleep. Lord God, we pray that in this moment you'd intervene, not to make us more comfortable, not more secure, but so that we would leverage our hope more than ever in the gospel of Jesus. May this be a time for us as individuals and as a church where we experience great spiritual transformation through the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand together. Man of sorrows, Lamb of God, by his own the sin of man the sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus silent as he stood accused silent as he the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, 
and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be yours today, world without end. Go in peace. Amen.